Our Bible passage is from Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 to 10. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother, Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. All right, good, good, good everyone. Uh, today is our second message in our series. Maybe you want to switch mics. Can I have Matt's mic? If that's okay, yeah. Um, on the today's the second message on the topic of control uh, by thank you examining the story of Cain and Abel, the first brothers um, in the book of Genesis. We as a and, and as well as Cain's dis descendants, I uh, hope to help us work through. Of the facets relating to the uh, human impulse uh, to control. Right? So in the context of the fall of mankind, we have as a species uh, struggled to acquire dominion and mastery over the world. Um, although God wanted us to be stewards of creation uh, under his authority, we've sought to exercise uh, unbridled uh, lordship um, be it knowledge, technology, institutions, and even other people, our outsized desire for control has resulted in much ecological damage and loss of human life. Yeah. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of 9-11, a day of infamy where nearly 3,000 Abels lost their lives in New York City. As we hear about the continuing conflict in Afghanistan and other places of the world, uh, the ongoing culture wars in America, we realize that we really are controlled uh, by the desire to control our own freedoms and destinies. So what is happening on a global scale now and throughout the annals of human history, I think we can find in microscopic form, uh, microcosmic form, sorry, microcosmic form in the narratives of Genesis 4. Um, to briefly review, uh, for an unspecified reason, Abel is offering, Abel's offering to God is better received than Cain's. Uh, this leads Cain to spiral into jealousy, anger, and then homicide. Cain vents his fury against the lack of favor from God at his younger brother. Cain applies the full extent of his controllable faculties to overpower Abel and to show him who is really in control. Yet, as uh, we will try to develop today, Cain was out of control, consumed by the sin that had overtaken him. Uh, God's warning uh, to Cain, though, uh, indicates that Cain did possess the capacity to resist the power of sin. Uh, from that, I'd like us to think uh, about uh, a sub-theme, the sub-theme of self-control self-control um, self-control uh, i think might be the hardest and yet one of the most important types of control uh, for us to exercise so my sermon title uh, control alt delete uh, which if i'm not mistaken are keyboard strokes uh, for force quitting the computer um, attempts to get at the ideas of maintaining ourselves under control 
especially under the control of God. And then the need of resetting or rebooting, restarting when we lose control, when we don't have self-control. The need for um, self-mastery and temperance pervades every culture. Uh, Plato, in one of his dialogues, offers the image of the human soul as a chariot, with the charioteer driving two winged horses, one representing rationality and the other unruly passions. The charioteer must um, learn to direct the horses to enlightenment. Uh, we could probably mention in the same breath, uh, Confucian self-discipline, or the Via Medea, uh, the middle way school of philosophical thought, or even the quote I used last Sunday from the show Friday Night Lights, that in the midst of battle, victory or loss, one should take care not to lose oneself in the battle. From the Proverbs to the Epistles and throughout, the Bible extols the need for self-control. The Apostle Paul tells us that self-control actually is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, in everyday life, uh, we are regularly tempted to uh, give full rein to our desires or impulses. But usually, for the most part, we're able to assert control and discipline to, to do what we think is right and proper and good. But every so often, we do yield, we give in to our emotions or instincts, often with problematic outcomes. In those moments, I think we need more than just kind of a cooling off or a calming down or even a change of environment, although these can be helpful. What we need is a reset. Like computers, we need to shut down and uh, restart or reboot. In spiritual parlance, we need to repent. We need to return uh, to God, God's control. We need to experience God restoring us to a proper equilibrium. Okay, so for the re remainder of the message, um, let's examine uh, three areas where I believe Cain's self-control needed to be reset by God's power and grace. So they are uh, emotions. So obviously, uh, Cain's emotions are running rampant. He's driven by anger and then kind of uh, a murderous intent. Uh, and then second, uh, solutions. What I mean there is Cain's plan to remedy what he perceives as a problem. Um, they are ungodly. They are beyond, you know, um, they're unjustifiable. He wants to kill Abel to appease or soothe his emotions. That needs to be reset. And then this uh, idea of relations, how Cain sees himself in relation to Abel, it's so misguided, right? even distorted. How he looks at someone he should love, at least respect, his very own brother. So those are the things that I want to kind of cover, uh, each of them, uh, starting with emotions. Uh, Cain experienced a burgeoning set of negative emotions toward his brother Abel. What might have started as annoyance mushroomed into full-blown malice. Verse 6 specifies that Cain was angry and that his face was downcast. His sense of de dejection probably resulted from the fact that God had rejected his offering. 
But how did Cain's anger get directed towards Abel? Right? You can get mad at God, but how does he get mad at Abel? Right? We're not really told. But the weird thing is that it seems that Abel is an innocent bystander. He did nothing wrong. He was not in competition with Cain for God's favor. Both of the brothers were eligible to be blessed by God, but somehow Cain blamed his younger brother for his own unfavorable standing with God. To me, it's an erroneous conclusion uh, for Cain to draw. Yet, perhaps it's not so surprising. When we are in a bad spot, uh, if you're like me, I tend to blame others. It's not my fault. This is someone else's doing. Someone is offending me. Someone is uh, making incursions into my, into my world, into my kingdom. And sometimes we pile a lot of our woes, if not all of our woes, uh, upon them. So my interpretation is that Cain started out envious of Abel's success before God. Maybe it wasn't the first time that Abel uh, shunted attention away from Cain. Maybe he was a golden boy, that younger brother that everyone loves, good keeper of the flock, always knows what to bring to an outing or a gathering, trusting enough to go into the field, always getting praise from others, you know, you know the type. And, and, and Cain started to grow resentful. Right? I think we all know what that feels like right? when we're jealous of someone else and we start feeling kind of ill will towards them. Abel is always stealing my thunder. He's really getting on my nerves. I have to do something about him. Maybe that was what was circulating around in Cain's mind. But the irrationality of envy is that we resent something that is actually good uh, in others. So when a classmate or a colleague or even a competitor gains recognition and we don't, we perceive that as a diminishment for ourselves. But it might have nothing to do with us. We can't admire them. In fact, the envier operates by wishing away the positive thing from the envied. Right? Rather than admiration, we feel injury. Rather than seeking to better ourselves, we want to tear down the one we envy. For example, King Saul, right? He's galled by the attention that David receives for killing Goliath. Even though David has done no personal harm to him, Saul goes crazy with jealousy and tries to spear the hero, get him killed. Envy tends to twist relationships, even good ones. Okay, Star Wars fans, uh, Anakin Skywalker is convinced that Obi-Wan is trying to hold him back to keep Anakin from the greatness that he is obviously capable of. So Anakin allows his anger towards Obi-Wan to turn to hatred and he duels his master, right? But he, he loses, leading to further hatefulness. Eventually, you know, Anakin, overcome by the dark side, yeah, morphs into Darth Vader. And emotions can be tricky and hard to moderate, especially when coupled with a sense of righteous indignation. If you think you're right, you know, that anger is, is really hard to contain. And there is a place, of course, for anger, but when how do we draw the line between that and 
as a sinful anger. Emotions can emerge involuntarily or surge suddenly when we are in a volatile situation. But I say that it's in those moments when we feel that things are getting out of control, that we need to definitely apply our sense of self-control. We need to slow down. We need to be more deliberate. We need to modulate our hyperhormonal output. We need to pray more. And we need to maybe ask for help from those who can you know, get us right. Uh, unfortunately, Cain allowed his emotions to get the best of him, leading him to the unthinkable uh, annihilation of his own flesh and blood. Instead of releasing his negative emotions into a more productive outlet, Cain succumbed to these treacherous feelings. So his emotions needed to be reset. I say his solutions also needed to be reset. But let's look at the plan that Cain formulates to fix the problem that, that his emotions have so convinced him of. If Abel hadn't usurped God's attention, then Cain could be happy. If Abel hadn't upstaged him with some aromatic animal fat offerings, Cain's fruit and veggie sampler would have sufficed. That was a joke, and I promised Jerry I wouldn't do jokes today, but sorry, Jerry. Uh, what, was, uh, what was the plan of action that Cain's angry mind so brilliantly devised? Eliminate Abel. That was the only way Cain could thrive. Cain had to get rid of the competition. Any lesser remedy would be only a temporary fix. Only when Abel ceased to exist could Cain rest easy. And so Cain exacted the final solution. Now, if you're like me, uh, it may seem like a big jump from envious anger to homicide. But if we think about it, I think it's true to life. Now, envy at its core uh, is pride, a desire for preeminence. Right? You don't want that person to be more beloved than you. You want that position, you want that standing, you want that place. And even if it has to be at others' expense, right? by pushing others down, you can lift yourself up. We want that. Right? So jealousy can lead to you know, crimes of passion. Um, at a Texas cheerleading tryout, one young girl hired a hitman to kill the mom of her number one competitor. In Iowa, being harvest queen is a big deal. Winners were upstanding, considered virtuous, beautiful young women. One Ms. Harvest Queen had an ongoing rivalry with Ms. Ms. Homecoming Queen. They grew up in the same town, they were both attractive and popular, and they both loved the same guy, the town's most eligible and promising young man. Turns out, Homecoming wins him over Harvest not only does Harvest lose Mr. Wright, but to her bitter rival, no less. Harvest proceeds to visit Homecoming at her house and strangles Homecoming with a leather belt. Uh, Jesus himself identifies the link between anger and murder. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you 
that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So at the heart of murder is anger and hatred. I think without the constraints of a criminal justice system, if we could murder, think eliminate, with impunity, without consequences, maybe not a lot of us would hold back. Yeah, even if we don't murder with our bare hands as Cain did, I think we regularly kill people we abhor uh, in our hearts. Indeed, uh, Abel must have been dead to Cain, like we say that term, right? She's dead to me, they're dead to me. In our heart, we buried them, they're gone. I think it's with that detachment, Cain is able to invite Abel into the field and waylay him in cold blood. So Cain's solution, right? His great solution, the one that, the thing that he thinks he can control uh, is to make the evidence disappear, get rid of Abel. But the scheme, you know, I think you'd agree is delusional. Right? God, God knew, God, well, God was watching. If God had admonished Cain prior to his heinous action, how would God not, God not know what Cain had, had done uh, to Abel? Yeah. So when our solutions reek of self or violence or secrecy, I think the time is ripe. That's when we should really do a control-alt-delete of our heart. When God warns us, we should take him most seriously at that time. If not, we might do some ir irreparable damage to another person, an important cause, or even to ourselves. And instead, I think Cain should have pursued an alternate route, route, listening to God, or maybe seeking counsel, or why not hash it out with Abel? Cain's attempt at controlling the problem led to his malevolence, which in turn swallowed him whole. So he needed to reset his emotions, reset his uh, um, solutions, plans. Uh, and then a final area is that needed resetting in our story is what I refer to as relations. As Cain's uh, emotions and delusional plans conquer him, his sense of humanity even becomes severely distorted. He loses all sense of responsibility or connection to Abel. He treats, uh, he fails to treat Abel as another human being, let alone his very own brother. Uh, in our pursuit of uh, identity, um, identity, how do we understand ourselves? How do I understand me? Uh, it's, I think, crucial to have a robust understanding of otherness, meaning, we are not an island. We are not occupying this world just by ourselves. You know, we are never truly independent or ever fully insulated from other people. So we define ourselves, at least in part, with how we relate uh, to others. I think in the process of dehumanizing Abel, Cain uh, loses his own humanity. What he did to Abel, right? He, it, in order to do that, he had to 
yeah, do that to himself in, in a sense. So by exterminating Abel, Cain damages his own soul. Okay, we did Anakin, now we gotta do Harry Potter, yay. In Harry Potter, uh, the villain Voldemort, uh, in order to attain immortality, creates these horcruxes. Is there light in your eyes or is it everyone going dim? I don't know. Uh, these are magical objects which, which contain fragments of his soul. Uh, if he's ever killed, Voldemort can uh, regain life through one of the horcruxes. But horcruxes could only be created by murdering someone else. You would have to literally split your soul in order to create a horcrux. And Voldemort did that like at least seven times, something like that. Seven and a half, I get confused. I try to figure that out. Uh, contrast that with the hero, Dumbledore, hero figure. He actually tries to protect, especially the younger students, from having to commit murder. So there's this, you know, rival of Harry, right? Draco Malfoy, he's assigned to kill Dumbledore, right? But when Dumbledore sees him and he tries to insulate him, protect him, not force him to, uh, to, to have himself killed, right? He wants to spare Malfoy of yeah, ripping apart his soul and killing another human being. Right? Such a contrast. Right? Of, of valuing life, seeing what humanity is, how you treat uh, the other person. I am in the throes of this book by Miroslav Volf, a theologian, um, and uh, called Exclusion and Embrace, a Theological Exploration of Identity, Otherness, and Reconciliation. And um, I usually don't like reading from the back of the book because I feel like that's just a publisher's kind of ploy to get you to like it. But I'm not far enough in this book <laughs> to really analyze it fully and just give you the salient points of it. So I'm just going to read from the back because I think it's actually too relevant to our topic that I, I just wanted to kind of uh, give a theological uh, at least approach to this. Uh, Wolf proposes the idea of embrace as a theological response to the problem of exclusion. Increasingly, we see that exclusion has become the primary sin, skewing our perceptions of reality and causing us to react out of fear and anger to all those who are not within our ever-narrowing close paren circle. In light of this, Christians must learn that salvation comes not only as we are reconciled to God, not only as we, quote, learn to live with one another, close quote, but as we take the dangerous and costly step of opening ourselves to the other, of enfolding him or her in the same embrace with which we have been enfolded by God. Yeah. It's interesting, most interesting, one of the most interesting things is that Wolf is a Croatian and he's writing in the context, this is 20 years old, I think, writing in the context of the Serbian ethnic cleansing, the genocide. So he's struggling personally with this idea of exclusion and embrace and stuff. So if you're interested, talk to me in two years. <laughs> No, I'm trying to finish this book this week because I have to talk with a pastor's group on it. Anyway, how was how was Cain able to kill uh, Cain able to kill Abel? He treated him not as a fellow human being with dignity afforded by the image of God, but as an object, a thing, an alien. Stereotypes and name calling objectify people, whether we use racial epithets, misogynistic labels, or demeaning nicknames. 
We don't acknowledge a person to be a whole complex individual, just like ourselves, but whatever attitude or uh, whatever attribute, quality, or quirk that we want to reduce them to is reductionist. So 21st century America. No. Even after uh, Cain snuffed out Abel's life, he denies any connection to his poor brother. In verse 9, God asks Cain, where is your brother? It's not a spatial question, but a relational one. Where are you, Cain, in relation to your brother Abel? What have you done with your relationship? But Cain responds with a flippant pun. Right? He says, am I my brother's keeper? How should I know? This was, uh, uh, Abel was, his job was a keeper of the flock. So Cain is basically saying, am I my keeper's keeper? Right? He continues to refuse any duty that he might have toward Abel. How have you and I understood our relationship with others? Are we controlled by bias, by judgmentalism? We have a connection to the other that cannot be dismissed or dispelled. Biblically, it is expressed as an imperative to love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe we've not raised our hands or our lips to strike another down. We've acquitted ourselves, but have we acquitted ourselves of the responsibility to another person? Cain may have won the battle over Abel, but Cain lost himself. It was as hollow a victory as you could get. Yeah. So these are three kind of things that I think we find in our lives, right? emotions, solutions, relations that really might need a major reworking, a repentance, a change. How do we reset? How do we reboot? Right? Of course, that's, we submit to God. God actually went out of his way to warn Cain to repent of his murderous plans. You know, Cain knew what was right. He was capable of doing it. He could have trusted God and come back from his rage-fueled musings. He could have duked it out with God, uh, asking why his offerings were unacceptable. Cain could have de-escalated his emotions and deleted his scheme to destroy Abel if he could have chosen an alternate path. And then we see that even after it's done, right, God gives Cain a chance to repent to admit his guilt. It's too late to bring back Abel, but amazingly, God wants to redeem Cain. And I think he wants to redeem us. Right? When we lose self-control or when we're on the brink of it, he comes to us, he speaks to us, he reaches out through people, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, through circumstances, through all means in order to keep us from yeah, hurting others and hurting ourselves. We may feel that this story is arcane, maybe too violent to be on point for people like ourselves. But at least I hope you can translate the extremities to the here and now, to the current state of our self-control, to the need to repent of sin. Yeah, we might be crouching at our door or in the process of devouring us. Let us reset under God's grace and power. Let's pray together. Maybe a couple minutes to reflect and think about our own sense of control. And as I said, the pandemic has stripped us of any semblance that we really are in control. But 
I want to say that at least our own emotions, our own thought processes, our views of other people, let's put ourselves under God's control uh, in prayer. Let's pray. Thank <laughs> you.